0: Honestly, you're tasting snakes. I'm gonna mate. I love you like family, but your are tasting snakes is shit. Hello, I'm Nipper Reed and I'm Phil Wolf. So, settle down, have a nice cup of tea, and enjoy the Venomous
1: Exchange Radio Podcast. Crumpets, Nipper. I want the crumpets. Well, as you've been such an extraordinarily good boy. In this episode, we speak with Kyle Ray of East African Venom Supplies in Nairobi, Kenya. Kyle is the curator of East African Venom Supplies, or EAVS. Some of you may know it as BioKen Africa. Mr. Kyle Ray, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. It's nice to be here. So, Kyle, why don't you uh, give us a little bit about yourself, and then we can kind of go into the whole BioKen stuff.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so I sort of grew up um, around snakes. Um, my mom and dad had a pet python. Um, so as a youngster, we always used to have a python in the house um, and feeding it. My godfather, who lived next door, used to do a lot of work with the Kenya Wildlife Service um, and he'd go out and catch and relocate snakes um, amongst other animals we lived next to. Um, I think there were like four lion cubs at one stage and a whole bunch of other animals. Um, so I was always um, brought up around snakes, um, found them very interesting. And my mom saw it as I grew. She sort of uh, gave me all the books. I read up on them on all our Kenyan snakes. And then when I was about 12 or 13, we had our work experience at school. Um, and she got in touch with um, EA- EAVS, it was then Bioken, um, and spoke to Roy and Taylor, who is the, um, the director. He sadly passed away about three years ago. And he said, yeah, she'll sure, come down. Um, and they put me to work. I was there cleaning cages, um, helping feed snakes. And. Um, and learnt a lot from them and they sort of introduced me into, into keeping snakes and handling venomous snakes. And I became part of a, a youth wing which they have, which is to encourage youngsters um, into, into um, herping and looking after snakes. Um, so I was in the senior youth wing um, and then after a couple of years I became a full associate of the snake farm. Um, and I collected I kept a lot of the snakes, which they that didn't do well down here at the coast. So a lot of the um, little bush vipers, um, some of the little carpet vipers, and then onto some of the bigger gaboon vipers and things like that later on. Um, so I looked after those for a while, um, and would go out and do snake awareness talks, um, catch and relocate any snakes in and around Nairobi um, that were in people's houses or gardens. Um, we'd go further and in field into the Mara. Um, I remember one time traveling um, with my mum two hours um, to an area called Naivasha to catch a python which had been taunting people. Um, and when we, had, I sort of asked the guy, "Have you seen the snake?" He says, "Yeah, yeah, we see it all the time." And when we got there, we got into this massive acreage. I think it was like a massive farm of twenty or fifty acres. Um, and the guy was like yeah so it was seen two weeks ago on that hill and we're like oh shucks that's a lot of area to cover to try and find the snake so we looked around for a while now and straight away i knew that this is going to be a long shot and we're probably not going to come up with anything so we searched and searched um these massive open fields all around the hill um we ended up not finding anything and heading back so Yeah, we used to do a lot of these trips um, with my mom. And then when I learned to drive, then I'd be doing them by myself heading out. And then um, the whole time I was always coming back to the coast, um, working at the farm um, and helping out where we could. We'd go on snake expeditions, going out catching snakes. Um, Every two years we hold an international snake bite seminar. um, And we're actually meant to be holding one this year. Um, So I used to come and do those. And then um, I worked, my mentor was Royan Taylor, who I worked very closely under. Um, he taught me most of what I I know now. And he passed away, sadly, about three years ago. And his wife took over it, um, over the, the company with his best friend, Anton. Um, and they brought me in, um, it's coming on to two years now, to help with running the farm um, looking after snakes, so I'm the curator of East Africa venom supplies um yeah, and loving being down here um living my dream and
1: and working with snakes every day it's awesome that's incredible man yeah. absolutely awesome and you're you're Kenyan native right? yeah, I'm fifth generation
2: Kenyan, so yeah, family that's- some other first settlers sort of come in
1: awesome man. It's so cool yeah. to see. You know the the progress of 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 you going to you know BioCan and volunteering there, and then helping them, yeah. and now you're you know running the show. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, I've done the whole lot. Like <laughs> um, when? Uh, and forgive me for not knowing my my snake history, but when did the ashes get involved? So uh, EAF is about forty two years old now.
2: um So it was started a while ago. Um, James Ash was the curator of Nairobi um, Snake Park in the museums in Kenya. Um, And he ran that for for quite a while. He then moved from there um, up to the coast and bought this little bit of land um, where he set up a little snake farm. Um, Some of the old buildings and pits are still there today. Um, And they, yeah, they set that up. Um, He started running it along with Sander Ash, his wife. And it was mainly just a tourist attraction. uh, attraction. Um, He did a little bit of milking on the side for Jonathan Leakey, who did a lot of the milking and exporting venom in those days. Um, And slowly, slowly, sort of the the local communities came to realize what he was doing. Um, They would come to him if they had any problems with snakes or someone was bitten by a snake. And they would try to help out as and when. They could. Um, they used to give anti venom for free to people who were who were bitten in return. The guys would come with a loaf of bread or some mangoes or fruit or, or stuff like that. Um, and I think just before James Ash died in 2004, um, if I'm not wrong, they set up um, the James Ash Anti Venom Trust. And the whole purpose of that trust was to be able to give anti venom. Um, to people who couldn't afford it, it's it's rather expensive here. The antivenoms we were getting at that time were about anywhere from about two hundred dollars up to maybe three, four hundred dollars. And your average Kenyan, the people who actually get bitten, cannot uh, afford that. They they're living off sort of thirty dollars a day um, if they're lucky. So the trust used to help give antivenom to people who who couldn't afford it. That trust has since taken on um, by the Taylor Ash Anti Venom Fund. Um, and the hope is in the future that we'll be able to re re sort of replenish that project. Um, once we've got new supplies of, of anti venoms and a good source, source of the anti venoms and funds, um, then we'll be able to be giving that, that anti venom free of charge to, to local communities. But yeah, James ran it for a, for a long time. He passed away and then. He passed it on just before he was getting fairly ill. He sort of brought in Royan, um, who started off as a youngster, the same as I did, sort of going to James Ash when he was at the museums, um, learning from James, working for him, collecting snakes from all over Kenya and bringing them back to James. And James sort of called him and his wife and said, listen, I'm getting a bit too old to be running this, so... If you guys can run it, um, that would be great. Otherwise, I'm going to have to let it go and and stop it. So Roy and his wife Claire took it on um, and they ran it and sort of built it up. And a lot of the things that we're doing now um, are all things that Roy had been working with. He'd been in Geneva um, at some big conferences with the WHO, um, working on the roadmap and so a lot of the stuff which we're doing now is sort of his plans and continuing con- continuing what he and sort of dreamed and, and hoped to, to
1: happen. awesome absolutely incredible names that you know names of folks that you've only heard about in either you know taxonomy or just old papers or you know yeah. the fact that you got to work with these individuals is absolutely breathtaking yeah so, no, it's amazing <laughs> Yeah. So how, how much have the practices of keeping an extraction and stuff, how much of that's changed from, you know, decades ago to now?
2: Well, it's, it's changed a hell of a lot. Um, um, even sort of when I came in, um, we sort of tried to revamp how we were milking snakes, um, and the whole safety ac- aspect to try and make it a lot safer than, than it actually was. So, a lot of the milking used to be just done in a sort of a big pit um back in the day and the snakes were just quickly hooked up grabbed behind the head with the tongs then you'd hold the snake little glass container milk it quickly put the snake back in the cage and it was a very quick process to try get through as many snakes as they can um nowadays we have a minimum of three people on the snake um it's all we try to tube the snake um, before we go to pin it. So the snake is put into a tube. Um, gives time for us to get ready to start pinning it um, and getting ready to milk it. And also a safer way to sort of res- restrain the snake. Um, so you're looking at if we're milking black mambas or cobras, um, it takes probably about five to six minutes um, per snake if you're moving on to some of the, the boom slangs or vine snakes, um, or even some of the little mole vipers, um, that can go up to about 15 minutes because um, we really try to take our time. We don't rush it. Um, we don't want to hurt the snake or get anyone bit. Um, so the process has changed a hell of a lot.
1: Very cool. Very cool. I've seen a I don't know if you're familiar with with uh, Dr. David Williams, who did a bunch of stuff in Papua New Guinea with taipans and brown and black snakes. Excuse me. And I saw they use like these vinyl bags, which I thought was very. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I'd met David um, a few times at some of our uh, our workshops, and he had spoken to us about that whole process. And he sort of talks of a a taipan like a a black mamba on steroids. and it was amazing process. They, they've got these massive, I think they're um, butcher's bags and they get the snakes into a butcher's bag and then sort of it gets pulled through like a vice to the snakes at the end and then you pin it in there. So, yeah, just trying to make the procedure as safe as, as possible. Um, it's a pretty risky procedure anyway. So the safer you can do it, the better.
0: So how many procedures are you doing a day? Do you do it every day? Or have you got set days that you, that you work for extractions?
2: We, we milk for the public every, every weekday. Um, we'll sort of do about three, three snakes. So it's usually between green and black mambas. Um, and that's mainly just for a display purpose. We'll keep the venom and store it um, as usual. And then we have a few of our other snakes, which we sort of have in a program um, which we'll probably milk once, once a week. Um, there's about 30 snakes being, being milked, but we're going through a whole process of trying to, um, get the paperwork in order to be able to export and actually sell the venom. So at the moment it all stays in house, um, in Kenya. Um, some of it gets used in the, in the universities. Um, have a place called Kenyatta university for research. Um, But once we get to sell it, then we'll really up our 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 game. We've just finished building our new snake house um, as well as our lab. And the snake house will house about 800 um, venomous snakes. Um, So, yeah, it'll be a a massive, massive
0: procedure. So that is amazing. So logistically, if you're looking at housing 800 snakes, what are the logistics of housing eight hundred snakes in terms of heating and food and lighting and just changing eight hundred water bowls? Is you know is yeah, it's a, a day's
2: work. It's crazy. We've got a we've got a pretty big team. We've got about sixteen handlers um, at the farm. Um They're all at the moment trained up as full venomous snake handlers, Um and each sort of you got two people assigned per room or per cottage, um, and they go through and they have their whole roster of when there's a cleaning day, um, our feeding days, and going through like that. Luckily, living at the coast, it, it's fairly hot, um, so you never have a too much of a problem of temperature drops. Um, the thing which we have a problem is keeping snakes we get in Western Kakamega, um, like the Gabonicas or the Nazi Nazicornis, um, and things which need the temperature to sort of drop. So in some of the rooms we saw, we have um, ACs, air conditionings, to try and bring down the, the temperature, humidifiers, um, and only up until recently, we're now managing to keep these snakes um, healthy and, and in good condition. Um, we're very lucky in that we, there's a, a big company here called Pentic, Um they supply a lot of chicken all around Kenya, like what, you, what we get in our KFC, they supply that. Um, and they give us about 50 um, day-old chicks every week, um, free of charge, um, which, which we, we use up fairly quickly. Um, and without that, we would really, really struggle um, to keep the snakes the that we do keep. We do breed rats um, and mice as well. Um, we have a guy who also collects frogs um, and little skinks and lizards as well for some of our other snakes. Um, but the chicks are are a big thing. When COVID hit, um, we had a a bit of a worry because there was we were in complete...
1: What was a uh, uh, transition? Think...
0: So you, uh, it, was, it was up to the point where you were talking about COVID and. Oh uh, yeah,
2: you... so we, we yeah we lost um, our chick supply, so we had a big panic on that if we're going to, the, the snakes can go a, a little while without eating, but if we wait too long, we're going to have a big problem. So we panicked, bought a massive freezer, um, and then as soon as the supply com- kept coming in, we sort of started ordering 1,000, 2,000 chickens every week. Um, and quite quickly, we had a an overfull freezer and everything went back to normal. So we we're quite lucky there.
1: It's not a bad problem to have. That's
0: not a, yeah
2: um, exactly so um yeah. that's interesting
0: I, i'm very geeky about diet and things for snakes so the majority yeah. of stuff you're feeding chicks how how often are you feeding is it a once a week program or are you depend on the um,
2: snake uh depending on the snake originally there was a sort of a once a week program um but i've tried to sort of stop that mix up their diet um Sort of skip skip a couple of weeks, um, and then every now and then we'll throw in something a little bit different, give them a rat, so to try change up their diet um, and also make it not a constant that every week on a Tuesday they're getting fed. Um, so to try and mimic as much as possible how it, they would be in the wild.
0: That's that's grand. and I love the fact that you're catching um, skinks and frogs locally. I mean,
2: that's, yeah, that's, it, that's, that's that's fabulous.
1: Yeah,
2: it's, that's, that's a, a, it's the job we give to a bunch of kids who come in and, and bring that, and they get a little <laughs> pocket money.
0: That's
2: awesome. Um, I presume it's uh, do you
0: keep um things like rhombic night adders there? And I'm just trying to think what you have um, that eats frogs.
2: Yeah, m- most of like our we, the little cobras um go crazy for the frogs, okay. um, as well of our, the night adders and some of the smaller bush vipers, um, the Philothamnus, the little green snakes. Um, they go crazy. Our The night adder population has really um, not done so well recently. I remember as a youngster where I lived in Nairobi, I used to catch, you'd go through a period of, of two months and you could easily catch 30 of them just on call-outs. Um, I haven't had a call-out or seen uh, rhombic night adder from that area in almost two years wow. um, likewise when we've got here um, we've been trying to get the velvety green night adder um, you used to be able to find them very easy in the swamps here um, but climate um, the swamps are drying up they're getting a little bit more polluted the frogs are dying out in those areas and we're seeing sort of a, a drop in our night adder populations in quite a lot of these areas
0: Oh, that's very. That's very sad. That's one of my favorite uh, snakes from your area. I'd love to keep some at home. I think they're yeah, that's absolutely they're stunning. Incredible
1: thing. Uh, yeah, they're beautiful. It's, yeah. Uh, that's that's right? Causis, rambitas, yeah. Well, no, I'm saying the velvet green ones. Uh, yeah, resimus. Resimus, that's it. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Very yeah. cool.
0: Yeah. So smart uh, little snake. Give, can you give us a, a bit of a breakdown of the species that's actually held in the collection at present?
2: Yeah. Um, we got majority of our sort of Kenyan cobras. So your palida, red spitting cobra. Um, Ashii, of course, the large brown spitting cobra named after James Ash. Um, Negricolis, your black neck spitting cobra. Um, Naya Haji, the Egyptian, um, and then Naya Subfuva, um, forest cobras. We've got a good population of all of those. I think our red-spitting cobras, um, we have probably about 50 or 60 in-house at the moment. Um, we They were wreaking havoc in in sort of northern Kenya and a lot of places. So we really sort of started breeding them and collecting them to properly try start looking at the venom and seeing how how bad it was and what we could do about it. Um, Again, we have all of your big bitus, um, gabonica, nazicornis, and aryatans. Then, all the black mambas, black and green mambas. Um, And then amongst of all the other smaller harmless snakes, your sand snakes, your bush snakes, um, pythons. So, we've got a a collection of all sorts. Guests can come and see sort of one of the biggest collections of East African snakes um, probably in, in the in the world.
1: Do you guys have parviacula?
2: No. No. Unfortunately not. I'd like to get something from outside, but not allowed at the moment. So all that we house is, is, is Kenyan snakes. Um, we're looking, another thing is to look into permits to be able to bring in snakes from East Africa, um, and then further around down into Southern um, and more of Africa, so we can have a better pool of, of different venoms um, from different areas. Just, I, I could be wrong, I'm normally wrong.
0: Do you have uh, Worthing, is it Worthing Tony?
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of our little dwarf bitters. Yeah, what a um, cracking snake. Yeah, an amazing snake. Um, We, yeah, we've got some of them in our collection. There's not, we don't have too many, probably about 10. Um, We're we're looking at trying to, (laughs) we're looking at trying to start, um, look at starting a a breeding uh, program because in a lot of areas where they are found, it's um, a farming area. And they're just getting slaughtered constantly. And there's a few pockets which are little conservancies and stuff which may be able to to house them and look after them. Um, so in the process of trying to figure out how to do that um, and looking into all the requirements to sort of do that, to sort of start repopulating areas. Same thing with desaxes, um, your Kenya bush viper, um, another endemic to Kenya, um, but has been hammered by the, the pet trade. Um, again, it's not in any protected areas. So some of the areas you go out there, they're being taken, caught and taken out of there stop. Um, so it's trying to sort of shed light on illegal an- animal trade smuggling, um, and try and get to the bottom of that as well.
0: Okay. I mean, they are ferociously expensive in the hobby. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Very, yeah.
1: We'll
0: see why
2: they're really, um, they're amazing snakes.
0: Oh, I, I would love to keep them myself. I, I keep um, a number of other theorists, but um, yeah, they're very hard to get hold of.
2: Mm. They're beautiful. We had one which came in, which was um, Gravid. Um, there was a boy who had who had got his hands on it, and it was amazing seeing the little ones one morning. He called, he's like, Carl, oh, it's given birth. Yeah. He ran down and found sort of like 12 of these tiny little things, all in different color variations it was amazing. That's, that's very, very cool. Yeah.
1: Absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah. So you said do you have um, some of the, the sand
2: snakes as well? Yeah. You got your hissing sand snake. Um, are we talking, um, are you talking Samophis? Yeah, exactly. Mozambicus, um orientalis um, so we've got majority of them that we can find within here um, by your I think it's called belcher the beautiful sand snake um, a very rare little little fellow to found uh, find um, we had our team out on a snake awareness um, training the other day and they found one in deep in the heart of a national park um, so we've got another sort of report of a, a range extension for them, um, but yeah, an amazing snake to, to come across. That's
0: that's very cool. I've, I've kept some some They're uh, they're interesting interesting snakes to keep. They're so alert. They're so quick.
2: They are yeah. so quick. The amount of times we've had them here where you open the cage and it shoots out, and you're grabbing yeah. it mid body. It's yeah. biting uh, you uh, and.
0: The feeding response is insane on them. They're fam- fabulous yeah. little things. Yeah,
2: Yeah. no, they're, they're really cool. Yeah. And um, um, what bush
0: vipers do you have in the collection?
2: Um, We've got squamager, um, hispida, um, and then desaxes. Fantastic. Um, yeah.
0: And hispida has historically always been a really difficult species to keep in captivity. Now, obviously... Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're local. You have the local temperatures, and I presume you're feeding frogs to the hispida. Is that right? Yeah. So you're, yeah, you're yeah you're, you, know, you have the benefit of feeding the local. You're feeding
2: its actual exactly. way to it. Yeah, yeah. Um so, I mean, we really struggle. They're very. Um, they feed really like locality dependent. Where you get them, they'll be feeding on different things. So we found others where we're, we've had come in and we think we've got. Um, what we need to feed them, and they just do not take to frogs and they're, they're looking for something else. Um, so we've got a one of our other associates, um, a guy called Benjamin Hellestead, who lived in Sweden for a while. He's a Kenyan boy. I grew up together, um, and he moved in Sweden and did a lot of breeding um, in Sweden. So he's looking after it at the moment, um, sort of doing what I used to do as a youngster and sort of trying to get them to eat, um, get them into good enough conditions so you can start doing something with them.
0: Oh, That's, that's interesting. I mean, there there is I mean, some literature that says they're um, sort of like slug feeders on, in some instances, and maybe other yeah. invertebrates, not just frogs. And as you say, unless you know the locality and, and what that particular population was predating on, yeah,
2: you're going to struggle with Yeah, exactly but they're they're amazing things to see them eating it they they really hoof down their food they do not wait for that prey item or something to die it's it's gone within no time that's cool and'm
0: and i presuming yeah. the squam squams will just eat anything in my uh, experience yeah. they're fabulous
2: feeders yeah they're even the the hispada um not the hispidar the thesaxes is is similar to that they they eat pretty well um pretty easy don't stress them out and they're they're good to go
0: and how are you? Um, how are you keeping them? I presume. Uh, are, you, are you keeping those implanted vivs or in
2: racks? Yeah, systems? exactly. They're all, all in um, outdoor enclosures where they are at the moment. Um, oh, so they're open to the elements. Um, it's very similar conditions to where they're found. So the temperature drops just fine. Um, yeah, and they seem to do really well. Well, in that.
0: That's superb. Splendid.
1: Yeah. Uh, you you had mentioned earlier that you were working with some Actractaspis. Uh, yeah, you have. Do you keep any currently?
2: Yes, um, we got phalix and Bibroni. Um, yeah, which we, we keep both of them um, and milk both of them on and off from time to time. Wow, which and is kind of interesting. I, <laughs> I was just going to
1: say, how do you how do you milk them? Because I've seen, you know, our friend Nathaniel at M Toxins in the states. You know, he has the 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 bite-proof gloves and then a very, yeah. very long cylinder and basically lets the snake thrash and just tap yeah. the membrane on the glass.
2: Yeah, so we we sort of, we have it in a, in a tube um, and then I've actually got a, I think there's a video up on our um, Instagram um, and then we hold it gently with a pair of forceps um, behind the head and then bring a sort of uh, Petri dish with some power film on it and you sort of poke it on the, on the side, irritate it a bit on the side, and you'll get them to, to bite that way. Um, and something which we found really interesting with them is you'll get some individuals who will bite majority with their left side or only with their left side, and others which are more sort of right handed, and others which will use both independently, um, which is really weird That's to be incredible. found. More.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean yeah. especially the the bibronium I'm, I'm actually fascinated with the genus currently and I plan yeah. on keeping some in the near future. How do you guys yeah. house them for you know their daily lives? Um, they're in a
2: pretty boring cage if not a boring cage but as a visually a snake you don't you don't really see it all that much um, We have logs which they're sort of burrowing in. Um, and in the soil, so yeah, hidden under some soil, some lots of leaf litter, coraled um, rocks and stuff which they can hide in, um, as well as hollow hollow logs and things like that. Um, so off. you're
1: not you're not necessarily giving them a, a thick, you know, a large substrate dam for them to burrow into. You're just giving them stuff to hide in.
2: Exactly, yeah, because because we are open to to guests to come through. So something which you sort of like pick up a few logs and stuff and you'll get one or two of them so a guest can see it visually mm-hmm. um, and not disturb the snake too much so right. a little bit of soil some leaf litter um, and then some rocks and some some logs for them to hide under seems to work yeah. well for us.
1: yeah I imagine if you gave them you know 20 or 30 centimeters of of soil you would just never see it. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. who wants exactly. to sift their fingers through the dirt to find it right? yeah, yeah <laughs> no. Not the best how, thing. To do. How large are are your Bibroni that you have? Um, they're small guys,
2: probably about um twenty five, maybe thirty centimeters max. Okay. Um, yeah, and they seem to be the more our foreman at the farm. He's had a bite from a falx and a Bibroni, mm. and he reckons the Bibroni is is way worse than than phallus. Um Yeah, yeah, not not we see a, a fair few bites from them if i sort of anywhere from about 6 30 to about now if i get a call and someone's been bitten by a snake and they sort of say what snake is it and straight away they say a black snake it's nearly a hundred percent one of those those two wow yeah
1: um, it's, it's the after yeah. dinner snake yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of all the
0: snakes phil all the pretty snakes in the world you want to keep <laughs> the
1: most <laughs> dull looking weird looking brown berry in the soil snake I'm I'm just fascinated with it man I, I love drab colors I like earth tones and I like uniqueness you know that's why yeah. you
0: kick cobras they're dull <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah it, it's funny if you if you do a 360 degree spin in my venomous room the yeah. only thing with color is the the atheris and the Gila monster everything else <laughs> yeah. is brown and khaki and beige and
0: <laughs> whereas mine I need to
1: is get some palliative in there. Yeah. I, I kept palliative for a very long time. And uh there was one day we had I had about a seven foot one, maybe six and a half foot. Yeah. One, and it was at the yeah. bottom of it was actually Kenyan locality. And yeah it was at the bottom of a large Rubbermaid trash can that was on caster wheels and I had opened the lid wrong and he looked up at me and spat and it went 14 feet up on the wall because it's a very yeah. a vault, a vaulted ceiling room. And when I saw yeah. the wetness on the wall, I said, you know what? I think I'm done with this species. I think I'm done with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but I actually, I have, I have ashy, or ashes right now. And, uh, nice. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the last one in, in the United States.
2: So Yeah. And those you know, things are like a tap. When they start spitting, it, it never ends. Yeah. You're completely drenched.
1: Yeah. He, um, he, he's pretty good on spitting. It's a, a, a smaller male. I, I honestly think he's a runt. He's only about five foot and he's probably about, oh, geez, he's probably 14 or 15 years old now. I got him as a neonate and yeah. uh, he just mauls the glass. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I'm fascinated with the, with the, with the bebroni man, that, that's probably the species I'm going to try my hardest to get. Um, do the ones yeah. by you, are they more of a brown or they have the two-tone, you know, black over cream? Uh, yeah, more of a, like a, a brown and a cream.
2: Yeah. Excellent. Um, Very cool. And what are you yeah. feeding them? Um, skinks mainly. When okay. they're really small little skinks and then as they get bigger, then onto pinkies
1: and mice, they'll start to take. Okay. And will they take yeah. stuff on, on the surface or do you have to like put it into the leaf litter or, or how's that work? Um originally with ours
2: sort of letting a skink go down into the leaf litter and them hunting how they'd naturally hunt, um, seems to take and then slowly, slowly you'll get them taking stuff off the off the tongs and sort of find it.
1: Excellent. Super fascinating. I love it.
2: Uh, Fun little snake.
0: That's cool. Um, so you, you mentioned you get a lot of call outs, um, for them. What, what would you say was the most problematic snake for you in terms of snake bites in your area?
2: Um, they, they, we get a lot of bites, um, from them. Um, it's, you're going to have a lot of pain, um, bit of swelling and we don't seem to see too many complications after that. Um, but after that, very closely followed is, is your the Puff Adder. Um, we get a lot of bites from Puff Adders. Um, and then probably onto your, your Ashes um, in our area. And then as you move up, sort of up into Savo, you get the Red Spitting Cobras a lot, lot more. Um, okay. we, yeah, we don't see too many Black Mamba um, or Green Mamba bites here. Yeah, they do come through, but not too often, luckily.
0: With the, with the Puff Adder bites how is yeah.
2: that is that,
0: pe- that agricultural people moving stuff and and getting a bite in that way because they're not sort of coming into houses or anything like that when people are sleeping are they it's it's is
2: it more yeah, it's, agricultural it's, it's, workers exactly people there's a lot of um people clearing land here for farmland um so it's people clearing those land um or out um, herding the sheep, the cattle, um, or even school kids um, walking home at night. Um, we had a, a maybe, yeah, just before I, I got here, um, I'd come up and we were talking to our guys about wearing safety shoes and you need to wear safety shoes when you're handling venomous snakes and then you're out on call. Um, and I'd been telling the one guy he needs to get a proper pair of shoes, which he can he can wear. Um, and the next day he came in with his new pair of shoes. He was very happy about it and um, did his day's work, cleaned all the cages. Um, we all went home and I got a call. Ah, so-and-so has been bit. And I'm like, oh, and we rush in there. And he had his safety shoes. He then took them off and walked home barefoot um, and trod on the little puff adder um, no. on his way home. Um, luckily, um, we think it was a dry bite. He had no effects um, and nothing like that. But he quickly learned his lesson, and now he wears closed shoes the whole time. That's
0: incredible! Incredible! Wow. Uh, and what, what about the copras? Are they more
2: uh, residential bites? Um, a bit more. Uh, same. Um, you get you get them coming into the house a, a little bit more, but. Um not as much it's probably the same as the puff adders. guys out in the fields again tilling the lands, um herding the cattle um that similar sort of sort of stuff to the puff adder.
0: okay yeah and what, and, and what is the um local people's ethos regarding snake bites? Are they happy to go straight for medical attention or
2: are they still using folklore um I, ideas? yeah, we they, it's, it's mainly more, a lot of them are still going to your traditional healer, um, your witch doctor, Muganga, as we call them here. Um, so that is sort of your, your first call for majority of them. I think they say sort of nearly 53% sort of head off straight to the witch doctor. Um, and then you'll get a small population who will go seek the, the Western medicine um, and then another tiny bit who'll go to your witch doctor first. And then after that, then go on to, to the, um, to the hospital. So what Roy, um, did for a long time is he actually went around in the coast region, talking to all the witch doctors and the Mugangas, um, and sort of trying to talk to them and being like, guys, you, you know, when you get a bad snake bite and they all sort of agreed and were are like, yeah, we know when we're going to lose that person and when it's a really bad snake. So he was like, well, in that case, um, if you refer them to us, we'll give you a referral fee because the guys are just looking to make some money as well. So what we would do is give them a referral fee. Um, we would be able to, they would be able to make some money out of it. And we would be able to bring that guy in and, and save that life Um then we would say, if it's something harmless, go for it. Ask for a chicken and a goat, and 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 carry on that way. Um, so, a lot of what we try and do is going into the local community, talking to the witch doctors and mugangas, um, and trying to sort of explain and 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 change the way they think um, to st- sort of start referring and getting people in into hospitals.
0: And are you seeing many fatalities or are most of the, because of the
2: species involved, most of them survivable? Um, in, in Kenya, we lose, it's, it's narrowed about a thousand people a year um, to snake bite. Um, so it, it's still a, a massive, massive problem. And that number sort of places in rural Kenya, up in northern, northern Kenya, Kitui, Samburu, places like that. Um, people get bitten and, and never actually get to the hospital. So that number could be a lot more um, than what it actually is. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're getting a, a huge problem, problem with it. And then also the other issue of, of people um, scared to use antivenoms because they've heard that they don't work um, or scared by the price tag on, on it. So then they ended up trying to just go to the witch doctor or trying to wait it out to see if it won't be a problem. Um We get quite a few people calling us out seeking advice just after they've been bitten by something, um, and we're always like, "Well, okay, send us a photo." And if we receive a photo of a harmless snake, then we just reassure them it's it's harmless. Sometimes they're like, "We don't know what. We didn't get a photo. We didn't see what it is. it's like." Well, then go straight to the doctor, um, just in case. You don't want to be in the middle of nowhere um, without without antivenom, mm-hmm. um, and. Surprisingly, you get a few people who decide that they're just gonna hold still and see how it goes and the next day or a week later end up having a much bigger problem on their hands um, yeah I'm genuinely, sorry Phil, no, I'm genuinely
0: go on. I'm genuinely surprised that there is that many fatalities in in that area i I, I thought it will be a lot less than that, given the species that you have. It's not like you've got uh, you don't ha- you don't
2: have echis or anything like that. So I'm, I'm I'm really shocked by that, to be honest. Yeah, echis much further up up north. Um, a recent study by um, our wildlife service, um, they saw that snakebite accounts for about forty-eight percent of all human wildlife conflict. Um, so that's that's way above all your. Lions, buffalo, all the rest of that—that that sort of stuff. So they have a big problem with that.
0: I'm
2: I, I'm absolutely stunned by that.
0: Um, yeah. What are the what are the sort of in 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 the area that's populated? What are the sort of population densities of mambas? Then you said you you really get mamba bites. Is that because yeah. they're not encountered, or people are a little bit more wary of areas where they are? Or?
2: Uh, I think it's just the the snake itself. They're they're a lot higher up in the, in the bushes, so they're not on the ground where they'll get trod on. Um, they're much quicker to sort of escape and move away from someone, um, unlike a, um, a cobra or a puff adder, which will actually just stay on the ground or sort of try and fight it out. Um, we find the mambas try to actually get out of the way and move um, a lot more. So, yeah, we don't is have they, a problem with them too much. Is that the same with the vine snakes as well? yeah but vine snakes they um there's there's a lot of them around um but I find that they they rely so much on their camouflage. You can literally go and pick one straight out of the bush with your hands if you wanted to or the tongs and it still thinks it's a it's a twig um and it's that they're relying that it you still haven't seen it um, so we we hardly see any bites from vine snakes. Yeah, so we, we had a, a bite from uh, yeah, Boomslang. Unfortunately, the girl, she was um, disabled and they had put her out under a tree um, to play with her, her siblings and the snake fell out of a tree and the siblings ran away and she was sort of trailing around trying to trying to move um, and then getting, getting bit. Um, luckily, we had some Boomslang some anti-venom which she received and, and recovered just fine. Wow! Oh, that's grand. Sorry.
1: Uh, when when you were speaking about the vine snake, just for our listeners, you're referring to telethonus, correct? Exactly. So okay. we get with some usambiraphis. Sure. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: That's cool. So, if, if somebody is bitten and you are able to assist and administer antivenom, what, what what's what sort of costs are we talking?
2: Um. Well, a, a vial of antivenom. Um, Sort of what what we were using was was going for about two hundred dollars for a vial, um, and you you could need anywhere for a big puff adder or some of the cobra bite. Um, you're looking at maybe up to seven or or eight vials. Um, we try not to sort of give your your recommended dosage if you read on the on the label, um, just because we don't have a huge stock of the antivenom. So we sort of um give um, and see how it's going so we don't use um, all of our anti-venom on, on one one patient we try to push it to to treat other other people so your your anti-venom alone can be close to sort of a thousand dollars and then you've got your doctor's fees, um, bed fees and everything else like that on on top um, so yeah your average Kenyan who's making twenty dollars or thirty dollars, um, really ends up getting getting stung by that. So the, the government is working uh, on a, a lot of different programs um, trying to bring in other anti-venoms um, lower cost anti-venoms um, which and then also trying to subsidize the cost of the anti-venoms so your Wana your, Inchi um, or your community here aren't um, having to pay that full amount. They're either getting it for free or a much more discounted um, rate. Um, the only problem which we have here is a lot of the anti venoms that are available haven't gone through a proper test to see how effective they are against the venoms of the snakes that we've got um, in country. Yeah.
0: Okay. And um, I know we, we, we kind of always focus on snakes. Um, oh. What about scorpions? in Kenya. Is there anything that's particularly harmful there?
2: Yeah, we've got um, a scorpion Parabuthis maximus. Right.
1: Um,
2: It's got a pretty awesome name. And uh, when was it? It It's probably 10 or so years ago. Um, Before we used to believe we had no scorpions here of, of medical value. Um, and there was a, a guide. He was on safari with his guests in an area of northern Kenya called Meru. Um, and he got stung by this scorpion. And he again thought, oh, it's just one of our scorpions. It'll be a bit painful. And that's about it. And he went and lay down. Um, and his son came to check on him a little while later and saw that he wasn't doing so well. Um, and ended up calling Claire and, and Roy and explained what was happening and Claire quickly sort of saw these as some pretty serious um, neurological symptoms and said you you need to get your dad out of there and very luckily they carried oxygen on that trip. when um, he was put on oxygen he was in a real bad way um, but ended up surviving. And um, they bought us the sample of the scorpion. and um, yeah so we looked into it and we've figured out that this little Parabuthus maximus. It's got quite an extent, extensive range. Um, and when we've been into the community, sort of talking about snake bite, we cover a bit on stings. Um, even some people in the community sort of said, yeah, before we never used to worry about scorpions, but we've actually started having a lot more problems and actually seeing people dying or being killed by some of these scorpions. Um, and that's mainly from this, this Parabuthus maximus.
1: Do you um, guys get a Parabuthus pallidus as well, or Lysoma as well? Um, so it used to be Lysoma, um, and
2: then it, it split, and the one which we get here is now um, Maximus, and no longer
1: Lysoma. So it still has the the quintessential black telson and the the black. Exactly. Segment. Yeah, you lost sort of two are, are black. Yeah. Yeah, all it's black. A of a scorpion. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, have you? <clears throat> excuse me, have you ever witnessed them spray the venom, or no?
2: Um, I haven't witnessed them spray them. I've, um, I was doing trying to get some, trying to get one to to pose for um, David Worrell um, okay. to take photos, and it was the hardest thing I've ever tried to pose. Even a hot Ekis or a black mamba <laughs> was nothing compared to this
1: little guy. I can um, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Vivacious um, little critters. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Really aggressive.
1: Yeah.
2: So
0: obviously you're super busy um at the park and that. Do you get
2: time to go out field
0: herping at all?
2: Um, I used to a little bit. Um, we try to do a trip sort of every um two years or so, or every every year. Um With our our team, we'll go out in a few different locations. We have a competition to see who can spot the most snakes and and everything like that. Um, I have sort of set up and trying to push um, a few snake safaris or herping safaris. Um, So people from all over the world um, can come down, book a safari, Um, we can tailor make it to a key species that you want to target. Um, and we go around and, and do that. So I'm going on one. I was meant to go on one um, in February, um, going through Kakomega to tar- targeting all our big bitters um, and the theorists. Um, But the client who is coming sadly got COVID, so I had to postpone. So that trip's happening in June. Um, but we, yeah, we have a few with all of our other team going out um, and doing some some herping trips, um, also photography trips. People who are interested in photography. Um, we had a young gentleman by the name of Tom Williams, um, who's an English guy, an amazing photographer, um, and he wanted to look for for black members. So I was like, right, we, I know a really good spot. Um, we'll send you on with one of our our handlers, um, and I think within the first twenty four hours, he called me and they had caught. Eight different snakes and had got his key species, which is the black mamba. Wow! Um, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, so we, we do try and push out quite a few of those. It's that's it's perfect.
0: very it's very much a, an up and coming thing at the moment. I've got um, a number of friends that I've field herped with for years and years and years who are now taking out organised groups. Um I think yeah, a lot a lot of the birders sort of pushed the way forward with their organised bird trips and now as field herping becomes a more well-known pastime through instagram and youtube um there's quite a market now for dedicated field herping trips it definitely is the way forward
2: yeah yeah no it's it's we're yeah we're getting a lot of people interested and unfortunately in kenya it is pretty vast and getting around is takes some time or you can fly and it doesn't take much time but it does sort of put up the cost of your of your trips. You can do it dirt yeah. cheap to try get into some of these areas. You need to stay at specific lodges. You've got conservancy fees. So it does sort of add up a, a bit compared to sort of going to Madagascar and doing a trip there um, or probably even in Southern Africa. Yeah, there's, there's absolutely
0: no point in me trying to do it. We have one species of venomous snake here. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wish I could find five minutes from my garden. So, <laughs> but there we are. Uh, um, yep. say so, so, have have you seen uh, Worthingtony in in situ? Um,
2: I haven't. Um, I've, we've got a few of our handlers. I think there's probably out of all of us together, are probably about twenty of us, and I think probably only um maybe six of us have actually seen it in the field yeah Yeah. that's
0: my number my number one species to see in your in your location it's yeah incredible snake what a species
2: we've we've got some good locations for them um but they're hard to hard to find and really it's really weather dependent and and seasonal when you need to look for them
0: so um when you are out field herping, or when your team's out field herping, um, safety protocol wise, um, and it's just yeah. something that we we ask everybody that that comes on that, that's out in the field, just to get an idea. It's good to get other ideas. What are you carrying as as a first aid kit?
2: Um, we most of the places we go, we we will take anti-venom with us, um, which will sit in in the freezer or at the lodge wherever we are um we try to talk to the nearest doctor who we know can deal with snake bite and sort of alert them that we're we're in your area we're here for four days or or whatever um just to make sure they're not away or or something like that Um, and then our pressure bandages um and and that's probably probably all about it that we, we carry here, yeah. as long with your your normal sort of first aid aid kit um um but yeah pressure bandages and anti-venoms are the main thing which we carry for our snakes ideal yeah and any yeah. any adv- any advice to
0: anybody that's coming out to kenya to field herp apart from join one of your trips which is obviously the, the, that, the most that, efficient, that, efficient that, way the to thing. do it
2: one. <laughs> um it's just do your, do your research and um, things like um, iNaturalist um, is quite a good one at the moment. Um, you can get a lot of pointers on where stuff are um, and where to go. Um, be very respectful of, of the sort of government policies. All wildlife is owned and protected by the wildlife. So in actual fact, if you do come across a snake, and you're trying to manipulate it or dig it out of a hole, um, you you could end up getting in a little bit of trouble. Trouble for that. So they don't they don't allow anyone sort of touching or moving the snake unless they've got authority to do that. Um, which can make your sort of field helping a little bit harder um, than usual. But it's all fairly new new to Kenya. So these are things that we're trying to work on with the the wildlife department to sort of try come up with some some better ideas. Um, but yeah, just do your research. Um, we're very happy um, to give advice. We'd much prefer to sell you a safari. Um, we make a little bit more on top of that. But if you want to do your own thing, but want to have one of our handlers accompany you um, as an extra pair of hands, someone who can who can help and knows the area, can talk to the locals, um, that also also helps very well. Um, also, just being respectful of the locals in, in the area um once they sort of figure out what you're doing more often than not they're very happy to have you around um but snakes um sort of have a very mysterious look on them um associated with which with witchcraft um so you can get in a bit of trouble with that we have been chased out of certain areas because we're dealing with the devil and and things like that
0: so where can people get hold
2: of you to book one of your tours? Um, You can go through to our website, um, which is um, www.eastafricanreptiles.com. Check us out on Instagram or Facebook um, and we can send you info and and arrange a a safari through that for sure. Awesome. Yeah. And a lot of the money which we sort of get in through these safaris, and stuff like that we pump a lot of it back into the community with community programs. Um, I'm working on a program to try and sort of educate the kids and get out and talk to them. So we're going into schools um, where we can talk to them, advise them on snake bite, what to do, how to live around snakes. Um, and then we bring them into the snake farm so they can actually see the snake safely, see what we do. Um, so they can sort of go around and start spreading, spreading the word of what, what we do. Um, awesome yeah
1: awesome yeah very cool good well Kyle thank you so much for coming on man we really appreciate it. this is a great show thank you very much guys um, yeah please follow our Instagram pages check
2: on there um, we got a new book we're trying to work on which is a Dangerous Snakes of Kenya book oh, um, fantastic the, yeah the, it's a sort of like a little ebook. Um, so our goal is to sort of make it um, available for our local guides, easy, something to have on a on a smartphone. Um, I'm working very closely with a friend of mine, a photographer. You actually used the the photo in your post of the puff puffadder. Um, oh, nice! That's one of his his photos. So working with him, it's going to be very different um, to most of other other field books that that we that we get about. So excellent, yeah, very cool, cool. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. Thank you. We appreciate
0: absolute, it, man. Absolute pleasure. And I think it's fabulous that you're sat in Kenya and probably quite warm, and I'm sat absolutely freezing cold, and and
2: it's yeah. dark in England. Yeah, it's. I've got it's nine o'clock, and I've got a little fan here because <laughs> it is hot. <laughs> I've got the
0: I've got
1: the central heating and a jumper on, and it's miserable <laughs> outside. Yeah. I. I'm just still crazy that I'm talking to both of you who are in the future. Like that's just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, thought when you messaged me this morning
2: saying good morning, it took me a while to sort of wrap my head around that. I was like, "Yeah, yeah."
1: <laughs> yeah I, I force of habit. My apologies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But hey, thank cool, you guys. so much. Really appreciate it.
2: Thank you very sure. much, guys.
1: Take care. As for social media, you can find us at Venom Exchange Radio on Instagram, as well as at nipperreed and at knobtails.ig. We can also be found on the Herberticulture Network and the Morelia Python Radio Network, both on Instagram and your favorite podcast apps. Feel free to hop on YouTube and check out venomous etiquette videos, and don't forget to click like and subscribe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>